sound is. I never thought I'd say this, mate, but welcome to season two of Uzo Talk. You would have thought, Tom, eh? Season two. Yeah, mate, I could never have imagined that we'd get to this point. Could you? No, but you know what? It feels like we've just started. Does it feel like we're still fresh into this? I'm pretty tired at this point, to be honest. But no, look, <laughs> I'm excited about the prospect of another season. I'm excited about the potential for all the guests that we're going to have. And, mate, more importantly, I'm excited that you and I are back together again. <laughs> exactly. Do what we love doing. Eh? It's like a marriage. You reckon? Yeah. Forced. We, we, we're going to fight more, though, if it's going to be a marriage. <laughs> I think we get on too well. We do get on too well. Maybe it's the alcohol. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Just... Uh... <laughs> Eases the tension, maybe. Just takes the edge off, just that little bit. Yes, I think you're right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, 28 episodes in season one. So many amazing guests from celebrities, actors and comedians, chefs, authors, martial artists. And what else did we have? We had so many different people on. And would you believe we're going to top it all off again in season two? It is, mate. We've got some big names coming up. And uh, look, I can't wait to get stuck in. You know, we won't give anything away, but yep. we've already booked in a few, a few big names. Yep. Absolutely. And yeah, we're back in a big bad way, as Nico says. But look, straight off the bat, we want you to join us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uzotalk at outlook.com is the email, at uzotalk on most social media platforms, and at uzo underscore talk on Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel, so make sure you're subscribing there because some special stuff happening there this season as well. Like, subscribe, follow, uzotalk on everything. <laughs> make sure you're there. Isn't that right, Nick? Classy. That's it. We are everywhere now. We absolutely love reading your messages, so make sure you're emailing us. Make sure you're commenting on all the stuff that you see. We love it, and mate, you, you might even get a shout-out, right? We've done a few in the last season or so, haven't we? That's right. Actually, we've dropped off a bit, eh? We should be doing more of that, I think. Yeah. Because you get a lot of good stuff and a lot of good uh, tips on uh, stories that we should be doing as well. Very true. If you do have ideas, we want to hear them. Whatever it is, if you've got someone interesting, if there's an interesting topic that's sort of close to your heart, that's related to your Greekness, we want to hear about it. This is the place to talk about it. Wizard Talk is, is right there for that. But look... Let's get into it because true to form, we have another interesting individual in our midst that I want to introduce to you, Nick. You ready for season two? Oh yeah, mate. Let's go. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so our first guest for 2022 comes from the world of diplomacy and is actually the Consul General of Greece here in Sydney, Australia. He joined the diplomatic service in 2002 after having completed his military service as second lieutenant in the Greek contingent in Cyprus and has since served in various positions in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, both at headquarters in Athens and elsewhere. From 2003 to 2004, he held a position of desk officer for EU-CIS relations in the C1 Directorate for EU External Relations, following which he was posted to the permanent mission of Greece to the UN in New York. At the UN, he dealt with East African issues during Greece's tenure as a non-permanent member of the UN Security Council in 2005 to 2006. In 2007, he moved to Amman, Jordan, where he served for three years as deputy head of mission at the Greek Embassy. Returning to a multilateral context, this time at the UN in Geneva, he served as head of the disarmament section at the Greek Permanent Mission from 2010 to 2015. In September 2015, he was appointed European Correspondent at the MFA, a position which he held until September 2018, when he moved to Nicosia, where he served as Deputy Head of Mission of the Embassy of Greece in Cyprus. But as I said, since the 30th of September 2022, he's been here in Sydney performing the role of Consul General. Yanis Malikurtis, welcome to Uzo Talk, my friend. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Oh, welcome, Yanni, mate. I was going to say, reading all that, it sounds like you're like 70, 80 years old. You've done so much. <laughs> you look so young and so good and healthy. I was one of the youngest when I joined uh, in my class. 
So, you know, people envy me for that. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> no worries. Was there a bit of fanfare about the fact that you were as young as you were when you first joined? No, we joined? were about three of us out of 20. Um, three of us were 25 years old yeah, when right. we joined. So, so, yeah, if you do the math, I'm just 45 now. Oh, Fantastic. wow. Okay. It's very, very young for some. I mean, you think about politicians and think about people in the area of diplomacy and generally your mind naturally sort of goes to someone much older, but you are a spring chicken. I'm losing my hair, though. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> no, nah, you still got it, mate. Actually, we've got one thing in common. I'm probably jumping in a bit early, actually. We wore a bow tie for the first time at the same event. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Is that the right? St. George uh, Ball. That's right, yeah. yeah it was, was the there. first time in That was life. the first time you wore a bow tie? Yeah, and I had to go and buy one a few days earlier. <laughs> He I never, yeah, he, he did, did the too. same thing, yeah, yeah. you see? I was ringing around. stereotypes about diplomats being very posh, but not in this case. Classic. I did the same thing. I rang up all my friends. Fuck, who's got a bow tie? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you can swear on this podcast. You don't have to, but, you, you know. Sometimes you do. Yeah. We, need, we need to be on our best behavior for okay, this episode, yeah. Nick. We, can't, we shouldn't be swearing, and look, we're, we're not really drinking. But look, in the spirit of the way that this podcast works, let's pretend we're having a drink. Mm-hmm. Let's get into it. Good stuff. Sniyamas. Sniyamas, boys. It's all water this time around. Exactly, honey. <laughs> Sparkling. Absolutely. <laughs> With lime. Yanni, tell us a little bit about your Greek heritage. Obviously, we talk a lot about the background of our local Greek compatriots, you know, from the diaspora, but we're all from varying places in Greece. Where are you actually from? Okay, usually in Greece, when they ask you where you come from, uh, you refer to your grandfather from your father's side. Sure. Because most of us are Athenians, half of the population is Athenian. So I grew up in Athens, mm-hmm. like most people did. But my grandfather uh, was from Kalamata, oh, from a village outside Kalamata called uh, Sperhogia. Sure. Um, and he left the city when he was about 16 or 17 mm-hmm. to go to Athens to study at the military academy, Avelpidon. He was right. a, an officer in the Greek army. Oh, wow. So he left everything behind, and um, my father grew up in Athens, was born, in, and he grew up in Athens, and so was I. So mm. I would say I'm a third-generation Athenian. Okay. okay. Yes. There you go. Have you still got relatives in Kalamata at all? or in that No, region? I don't have many links with the place. On the other hand, with my mother's uh, place of origin, I'm much more, you know, related and very close to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's from Kefalonia, which is an island okay. on the she's west. She's from my side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We visit every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, since I was a child, I go there. So I, I used to spend two months uh, in the summer. Beautiful. What a place. So, yeah, I feel much more Kefalonitis than Kalamatianos, to be <laughs> honest. Um, although my name is from Kalamata. Okay. Yeah. yeah, right. Beautiful. Y'all got cousins from there as well. Oh, so, do you? Yeah. 
Well, there you go. My mum's side. My mum's sister's husband's side. Okay. So obviously you grew up in Athens. What what sort of area did you did you live in or did you did you yeah, sort of I move was, around? Yeah, I was born and raised in Athens. I lived basically in two suburbs, Cholargo um, and mm. Paleofaliro, which are not exactly the same. They're about 40 minutes away from each other. One is uh, closer to the mountain, let's say, to Pedeli, not really, but closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is on the coast. Mm. And being a third generation Athenian makes me a staunch Panathinaikos fan. I want to clarify <laughs> this uh, from, early. from the beginning. And I know I, I might disappoint some of your Yep, half audience. of the listenership has just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you want to delete that later, you can. <laughs> I see. Well, they're good at basketball, aren't they, Panathinaikos? They used to be very good at football when I was growing up as well. So... Uh, Yes, but in the past few years, they haven't won anything. So I'm uh, making uh, an effort to keep my son, you know, on, <laughs> on the straight and narrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was that like actually growing up in such an... I'm, I'm guessing that the whole environment would have been green and white, basically, growing up. What was it like having that rivalry between Panathinaikos and Olympiakos during that period? Yeah, it, it is a bit of a family thing because uh, all my relatives are Panathinaiki, so mm. we didn't have any... Olympiakos in the family. I have a cousin who I don't know what happened to him, and yeah. I haven't spoken for him in ages. But no, I'm, I'm joking. Everyone else was Panathinaikos, so yeah. And there was rivalry in school, but it was always, uh, you know, in collegial. We weren't. It, things got worse later, I think. When really, yeah, yeah, more fanatic. Mm. At the time, we were joking and teasing each other, and usually I was on the teasing side because at the time. Panathinaikos used to win. Winning every yes. Yeah, so <laughs> they, stopped, uh, they stopped winning when I left, you know, when I joined the foreign ministry and I was abroad, so I didn't get so much <laughs> okay, hassle. there you go. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say, you're into your sport, obviously. Did, what sport did you play growing up as a kid? I played football and tennis, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And did you play any representative football or was it just the No, I played teams? for my school team. I played as a left back. Left back, yeah, okay. um, and so tennis as well. Yeah, I'm a left footer, and and tennis. Okay, for my school team as well. Yeah, good. So I'm gonna say you look quite fit, quite healthy. Looks like you're still keeping touch up. wood. <laughs> Not like me and Tom. So me and Tom, we had body of Greek gods once. Never once the, upon a never time, never got the body of Greeks. <laughs> The gods have left us. Well, let's let's just say most people will be listening to this in January, but at the time of recording. Argentina just won the World Cup overnight. Exactly. You stayed yes. up to watch the game. Yes, I. What did you think of it? I was asleep, but I, you know, I set the alarm clock and I woke up my nine-year-old son to watch it together. Um, I thought he wouldn't manage, but he did because yeah. it was a very exciting match, wasn't it? We supported um, Argentina, both of us, not because we're Argentina fans, <laughs> but because we wanted Messi to win it. Basically, yeah, sure. Messi's uh, one song. Yeah. yeah, as you know. A prize for all he's done for this yeah. sport. Well, Andy Pascalides was sitting in that chair just a few weeks ago, and he called it. He said, it's going to be Argentina. Yeah. He picked it. Yeah, yeah he picked definitely. it very early. And that was, I think that was actually the day the World Cup started. Mm. We, we had right that discussion. Well, look, well deserved. He's you know, one of the best players. He's, been, he's won everything in Borough World Cup. So Yeah, it was a bit of a holy grail for him. Mm. Yeah. So it's good that he's achieved that yeah. to be the greatest and, of all times. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Well, yeah. Goat, they call it, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But I read recently now his coach, Argentinian coach, said, look, there's a spot for you in 2026 for Messi. So 
It might not be over for him yet. He's 35 or 36, something yeah, like 35, that. Yeah, so 35. Maybe 39. Ronaldo was 39, wasn't he? Mm. Same age. So, yeah, good stuff. What did you think of the robe? Just out of interest. <laughs> right yeah, the end. I don't know. That's oh, their local culture, custom thing. I don't know. What, what, I don't have. <laughs> I went opinion. to bed. I didn't see that part. Yeah. yeah I so the, ro- so the Emir of Qatar basically put one of those black, black and robes gold over robe. the top of him. So when he okay. ra- raised the trophy... Now I went to bed, I didn't thing. see that, so I'm going to yeah. check it out tonight. Yeah. And then <laughs> I think he just caused a diplomatic issue there with, yeah. with Qatar. Well, it's their custom, their official thing. I don't know. Everyone like, was blowing up on social media. Yeah. Like, it was everywhere. Yeah. So okay. why wouldn't you just let him, you know, raise the trophy wearing the Argentinian jersey? But anyway, I thought it was strange as well. But anyway... Okay. It looks strange, because I didn't know the story behind it. I thought, what's he yeah. wearing? We would have taken it off, but then it needed there's to be some explained. meaning behind it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, good start. So, look, what do you think of Australia? And have you been here before? Is this the first time you've been here? No, it's not exactly the place you know you pop over for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, when you grew up in Greece, so <laughs> or in um, Europe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in Europe. Uh, no, I had never visited before, so um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's my it's my first time. Yeah. Okay. And you just been to Sydney? Have you been anywhere else? Yeah. I've been to Sydney and I've been to Newcastle for work mm-hmm. uh, one day, and I went to Canberra as well to meet my my boss, basically the ambassador mm. of Greece in in Canberra. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. What are your first impressions of Australia so far? It's laid back, mm. which is uh, very pleasant, uh, not very formal. Despite my profession, I, I don't like too many formalities. Mm. You know, there is a stereotype that diplomats uh, adore wearing ties and drinking champagne and all that. But it's, um, it's not quite uh, how it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, the new generation of diplomats is more, I think, mm-hmm. uh, informal. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that. People are laid back. The nature is great. The multicultural dimension as well. It mm. was something that I I hadn't realized before. Mm-hmm. I thought it was more Anglo-Saxon as a country. Mm. Okay. So when we arrived the first days, we were impressed by you know by the food. Basically, there's you can eat whatever you want here. So yeah, that was that was a pleasant surprise. I tell you, that's one of the. I think we've discussed this before, but that's one of the main things that I miss when I go to Greece now. It's the food, oddly enough. Yeah. The food, don't get me wrong, the food there is unbelievable, but it's the oh, it's the, the range choice of food. Because the quality of the food here, you know. Yeah, it's very good. It's, it's so good. Yeah, anyway, that's not to diss Greek food by any means. We love it. Yeah, no, you're right, because we've got quality. Well, Australian cuisine now is like French, Japanese mixture with seafood and fresh produce. That's what it is. That's what the modern yes. Australian cuisine mm-hmm. is now. We've kind of got the best of everything, don't we? Yeah. We do, yeah. And many oysters. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love oysters. Good stuff. You mentioned they're the ambassador. What is the structure between your role and the Greek ambassador's role here in Canberra? Okay, so the head, let's say, of the Greek diplomatic representation in Australia is the ambassador uh, in Canberra. That is the case in all the capitals. A Greek ambassador in a capital is the head, which means that he represents Greece. Mm-hmm. And then in countries where you've got a large diaspora, such as Australia, Germany, or the US, you've got many consulate general, consulates general, mm-hmm. or smaller consulates. In Australia, we've got three, mm-hmm. and one here. Melbourne is uh, the largest. Of course. Adelaide and Perth, we've got a consulate. Yeah, right. Oh, wow. So four. Okay, and you and all hold the same level? In terms of rank? or Yeah. yeah. Um, 
the the three so uh, melbourne sydney and adelaide are consulate generals so mm -hmm. we're more senior than the consulate in perth which okay. is usually right. a younger diplomat okay a bit younger not much younger yeah, yeah right what's the actual role of a consulate general here yeah. what's your main mission when you're you know when they install a consulate general in a city so if you were to analyze a job description of an ambassador he would more look into the bilateral relations greece australia right so very political uh, foreign relations that would be him in canberra mm -hmm. here it has to do more with the greek community mm -hmm. So that takes up most of your time without meaning that you shouldn't also work for, you know, the enhancement of bilateral relations. Sure. But top of your list is the Greek diaspora, the so Greek community of New South Wales, in my case. Right. Mm -hmm. Not so of Melbourne. Yeah, there is yeah. an issue of jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. I cannot get involved with the issues that fall under the purview of my colleague in Melbourne. Right. Okay. So it's really about engagement with the local community yes. here, and, be, and yeah. I'm guessing it's it's also about providing a service as well for the local. Providing community. a service. So if if we're going to describe a diplomat's job, I think a good quote is from a British diplomat, Nicholson, uh, in the beginning of the previous century. He said that um, diplomats do the three R's. Three R's are. The first R is to report, mm -hmm. so to report back home what you're observing in the country where you're accredited. So that would mean political developments in the country. I was going to say, give us some examples of yeah. what you consider um, observing. Observing would be from a cultural event, which you want to report back to Athens, which mm -hmm. is noteworthy, a lecture on, on Greek culture. Right or an initiative on the Parthenon marbles, where you've got here committees or something on on the Battle of Crete, that's reporting. Wow. Uh, yeah, I would be reporting back to Athens. So that's the first R. Mm -hmm. The second R is to represent. Represent who? Represent Greece. Mm -hmm. um, so you go to many functions to represent Greece. You don't represent yourself, yeah? You represent the country. Okay. So representing Greece as in tourism, what Greece is renowned for? It could for. be, it could be represent Greece um, in a very formal function with the Australian authorities. Like mm -hmm. when I arrived here, for example, one of the first things I did was to meet the governor mm -hmm. of New South Wales. Mm -hmm. That is the representation of Greece. But it could also be a wine tasting event to promote Greek wine. So that, that would go into, into trade. But all that is representation. And then the third, which is, I think, sometimes the most difficult and most important at the same time, is recommend. Recommend back home if, if you want to improve something or you've noted that emphasis should be given on a certain issue, you recommend to your headquarters to take some action on something. Mm -hmm. An example here would be, what, what do you recommend to Athens on uh, revitalizing the Greek language? amongst the Greek Australian community. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm not there yet. So <laughs> after three months here, not even three months to start making recommendations on that, but mm. I'm, I'm in the phase of observing well, to a, make a recommendation later on. That's a very important Fantastic. one, obviously, because we've been hearing for the last few years 
that at certain universities, the Greek language has been under threat of being removed entirely from curriculums. Even as recently as a few months ago in Melbourne, I, I heard that something like that was happening. I, I could be wrong about that, but is this something that you primarily are advocating for or will, will be looking to advocate for and say, hypothetically put incentives in place or go back, to, go back to the government in Greece and say, guys, this is at risk of being lost. We need to invest money or time or whatever whatever needs to be what's your role in in trying to stop that from happening yeah i think it is probably the most interesting and at the same time most pertinent issue for for a greek consul here i think and we could dedicate you know even another another session here or sure. we could talk mm-hmm. for hours on this issue i wouldn't go as far as saying that it is in danger but it is in a sense, being challenged, yeah? Uh, if you compare the first generations of Greek Australians who arrived here, Greek and enrollments in schools are, is, you know, they're gradually reducing. The, 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 the numbers are falling. You could argue, so what? Because I've heard this argument. Some people have told me here that our identity is not defined by language. I can feel Greek Australian listen to Greek music, visit Greece once a year, follow Greek football and be equally Greek as someone who's, you know, who speaks the language. Mm. I'm not so sure. I understand the argument, but I feel that language is an overarching reality or principle that you, know, you can use as, a, as an instrument yep. to make sure that the culture is retained. Yes. Uh, in the future. So if we lose the language, I think it will be very difficult in the long run to um, to keep the culture. Mm. Yeah. I agree. Um, and I don't mean to be proficient in Greek. I like the quote by Professor Alfred Vincent because I went to a function where he was present and he said, if you don't use it, you lose it. He meant that at least use it. Sometimes we... We're embarrassed to use it when we are not proficient. Mm. Mm. I've noticed that. I hear it in my own family. Yeah. My kids don't want to talk it because they feel embarrassed. They're not saying it right. So it's a good point. So you're saying language is the pinnacle of our culture. Regardless, if you go to Greece often or you wave the Greek flag, language is the pinnacle. We've got to get the language right to continue in the diaspora. Yes, I think so. Um, this year, a book came out called Faros. It was written by Mr. Lobianco, who's um, mm-hmm. of Italian origin. He's a professor. I think he's a linguist in Victoria, in Melbourne. He focuses on the teaching of Greek language in Victoria, but you can draw conclusions that pertain to the rest of the country, to the whole of Australia. His conclusion is what he calls, he uses an acronym, which Australians like using acronyms, COD, C-O-D. He says, capacity, opportunity, desire. Capacity would be teaching Greek in schools, yeah? Even at kindergarten. Mm -hmm. How do you increase capacity? So all those involved should do more. And that's also uh, where the Greek state comes in, you know? All the different actors in the community but also the Australian government. What, what does the Australian government do to increase the teaching of foreign languages? 
Some people argue, I don't adopt this position because I've been here for three months. But some people argue that in Australia, multilingualism doesn't go hand in hand with multiculturalism. Mm. Okay. So you've got multiculturalism, that's fine. But in terms of multilingual, multilingualism, um, there is still more to do. Um, it's a very thin line for me to, yeah. I won't, yeah. Um, but I'm just saying that some people believe that, that this is the case. So in other words, what do you do in terms of increasing capacities? Yeah. Mm. Do you think that's something to do with our culture in Australia where there's so much co-curricular we have like a lot of the kids are playing sport uh they're doing uh individual sports where there's no time to learn a second language because a lot of the households now again even me as an example we, we talk english in the house is this something perhaps we should be doing at mainstream schools possibly because greek schools are definitely diminishing from when i was growing up. well just on that point i have a view on this when I went to school, so I went to a Catholic school where they were not teaching Greek, obviously, as a, uh, as a second language. I had to do Greek, Greek school, either, there were two options, twice during the week after school or once on a Saturday morning for three hours. Now, when you're telling a child that you've got to do that, it becomes a chore. Yeah. There's no way that that child is going to yeah. buy in. Which is one of the reasons why I think what That's you what just said, yeah. folding it into the curriculum, is is such an important thing. Mm. But in a multicultural society like this, I guess the question is, where will the, the local schools start if they don't have a Greek connection? Yeah. But on that, I actually learnt French in Year Seven, and I still yeah. remember a lot of the French phrase in Year Seven. I by, guess th- by that point, it's probably too late, though. I would say. But that was through mainstream yeah. school. I didn't have to, but it was part of going yeah. to school. I think we did but Japanese. When I, when I went to Greek school after school, I, I was so branded from normal school. Yeah. You know, I was exhausted. I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, and then Saturdays was sport. You yeah. wanted to play sport. So I guess that's the challenge. Yeah. We, One we of the privileges it. that you've got is that you you speak a language which is the most popular language in the world. And English is a steamroller. You don't need it. You don't need to, uh, sorry, you don't need to learn any other languages ostensibly yeah you don't need it whereas we greeks when we grow up the first thing our parents tell us is you have to learn languages because otherwise you won't do anything in your lives you know and at the age of 10 or 12 most of us are doing uh, lessons and learning english and french and this is part of our culture whereas here in australia it's a country which an anglo-saxon country and it's uh, in its culture mainly so you don't need the foreign language as much as we do so that's a handicap for, mm. for you know, those who want to propagate in favor of uh, learning foreign languages. And I, I fully understand that. So that, anyway, that is, you know, the first point is capacity. What do you yeah. do to, to increase the teaching? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with the issue of scaling yeah. with a HSC? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is also sometimes a disincentive for, uh, for children to, um, to learn Greek. Mm. The second is opportunity, which I found very interesting because opportunity here, Lobianco means opportunity as in having the opportunity to speak the language. And he goes beyond the classroom Mm -hmm. because as you mentioned earlier, just now actually that, you know, at school it's a bit imposed. Some children view it as a chore. Whereas when they meet outside and 
they play football and speak mm. Greek or they play an instrument or they're in an orchestra and they converse in Greek. Mm. Sometimes that perhaps is even is more efficient yeah, true. In, in learning the language. So what are the opportunities for the younger generations here to, to meet, to relate with each other and speak a bit of Greek? How does the youth get involved? Because in many of the functions I go, I realize, I, I, let's not hide behind our fingers, that the younger generation are not really involved, you know, in the associations. There are some exceptions, mm -hmm. but you see usually people of, of an age which is yeah, higher than mine. So what do you do to, you know, instill some interest, some motivation for them to, to stop participating? Mm -hmm in a Greek-speaking environment, somewhere where they can speak the language. So we do have clubs at universities, don't we? Like mm -hmm. SUGS yeah. and so forth. Yep. But I know what you mean, like, for example, AHEPA and all that sort of stuff. There's not much young Greek kids coming through. I guess that's, that's something you need to focus on, I guess. How do we yeah. get them involved? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and that's one of my well objectives. I don't want to sound you know KPIs. too yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> too optimistic there because it's not easy. But I would like to and you know uh, try to you know, get more involved with the youth uh, in the beginning of next year. I have a few ideas about how I could do that. And the third is desire. Desire is perhaps the most difficult. How do you convince? a young Greek-Australian that it's worth learning Greek. You cannot use arguments which are outdated. So, you know, our grandfathers used to tell us, learn Greek, otherwise you know Greek, or, you know, you have to wrap yourself around the Greek flag, and that, that won't work. Mm. That won't work. Definitely. How do you make it more interesting for them? Because, you know, we, we Greeks were businessmen, so, you know, we want to make sure that we profit from something when we started. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, what do we gain from it? Uh, if we're going to learn Greek, what is it? In, in, to me, advantage? someone told me, what, is, what am I going to gain? And that's a very difficult question to answer. But see, I would argue that, particularly with the Greek language, maybe this is me being biased, you know, and us being biased among Greeks, but there's so much Greek in the English language. It's particularly noticeable when you study things like, obviously, like science and mathematics and all these things. We, as Greeks, inherently understand things that others need to learn from scratch exactly. as part of our language. And I'm, this is something that, yeah, it's a good point. that I realized very early on. It's like, well, while everyone in this classroom needs to wrap their head around a particular scientific term, I know the meaning because I can speak Greek. That in itself should be enough incentive, surely. Yeah, but in Yanni's terms, how would you use it? How would it benefit you? But th this is the thing. In with, business? In if you go to high school now, most high schools will say... You know, why would they, for example, push French and Japanese, for example, like they did at my high school? Where's the advantage in that versus learning something that's actually going to benefit you by learning Greek? Well, what's the percentage of Greek in the English language? It's something ridiculous. It's yeah, over 60% yeah, or something. I don't it's know. high up there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a very it high depends, proportion. depends, I guess, also on the, you know, on the subject matter. So if it's medicine or yeah. science, it's... Sure. Yeah. But this is something, this is a language that has real and tangible benefits in, in the understanding of the language that they're initially learning. Surely mm. there's you know, that's something that we can do. So Japanese, we get a lot of Aussie kids mm. that go to Japan and they teach English, so yeah. they learn the language, so it does benefit them. Mm. Uh, we, we, we're starting to learn Mandarin now at school. 
because we think that's mm. going to help yep. them economically because the world is becoming a, such a smaller place. And that's a geography thing as well, obviously, with that's us right. placed in this But maybe area. if Greece has some new industry, but then again, most people in Greece speak English anyway. Yes. So you don't really need to learn Greek to get by in Greece. That's, I think one of the, the arguments uh, you guys mentioned before is about foreign languages being an instrument to improve a child's uh, cognitive mm. abilities so and in his perception and apparently it's proven i'm not uh, i'm not a doctor mm. and i won't say that greek makes you smarter because that <laughs> that is probably not proven scientifically <laughs> although i'm sure it's right you can say it on this show <laughs> yeah um, learning foreign languages improves the ability of a child to learn definitely uh, especially at a young age so that is definitely an argument you know to to use uh, to use greek another argument would be uh, that you can use it in your profession in your professional field yep. yeah if you become a doctor especially or even you know yeah even economics or mathematics or whatever and you have the opportunity to if you feel it feel like it later to go back to greece and get immediately integrated into greek society because when you speak the language it's it's so yes the yes greeks speak english but uh you know it's different when you speak the language mm. you feel more you have a, be a better perception of yeah. of greek society when mm. you speak the language definitely well like your view of cognitive improvement speaking another language that would work that makes a lot of sense you're going to have to learn another language why not be greek Mm. You know, I'm sure the Italians would have the same issue. You know, a lot of their. Uh, I think they have bigger problems than we do in terms of uh, maintaining really? their language. Yeah, I think we're not the worst in that sense. Mm. We're still, you know, uh, fighting for it. I think yeah. as a community. As a side note, so you've worked in the U.S. You said. Yeah. Do you have the same issues in the U.S.? Do you think they're more Greek? Yeah. Than, than us in Australia how do you see I'll be that? very honest I had um, I was working in the UN so okay, I didn't UN. have many contacts with the Greek community mm -hmm. from the you know the few the little interaction I had um, I would say language is probably stronger here than there oh, wow. right. yeah I think that Greek has been maintained to some extent here whereas in the US it's uh, it's used less at least that's my observation. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. No, that's okay. Uh, if Tell it's you know scientifically yeah. proven, but um, uh, not scientifically, statistically proven. Mm -hmm. But um, I have the impression that uh, Greek uh, that in the United States they speak less mm. than we so, do here. Yeah, because I've done a bit of travelling as well, and I do feel that perception. But Greeks in Canada, I find, are very very similar to us. Yeah, mm. they hang on to their culture a lot longer and. Um, they can speak more Greek than what Americans can. Mm. But then again, the people we've been speaking to and been messaging us through the podcast, you think the opposite. Yeah, actually all the people that we've dealt with, whether they're in the US or Canada, their Greek is at a very high level. Maybe it's just our line of work. You know? Yeah, Who knows? <laughs> it could be. But I would have thought that too, like you said. You know, they're um, more liberal. You know, they blend into the American culture more. And like you said, it's uh, it's an economical thing. You know, it's more beneficial for them to learn English and the American way to benefit economically. But yeah, yeah, no, very interesting. Obviously, it's too soon to be able to make recommendations, as you said. But is there a message that uh, that, that you want to get across about this? Is it about telling young families and parents 
Make sure you're speaking Greek to your to your kids as a start. Should you be looking for Greek schools? What can we do as Greeks of the diaspora to start? Yeah, definitely that that is one message. Uh, if you don't use it, you lose it, as Vincent said. And that means that uh, parents should, you know, make an effort to speak the language at home. They shouldn't solely depend on school, on two or three hours of Greek uh, a week, yep. in the best case scenario, yeah. Another way forward would be for the community here, the Greek community, to continue supporting uh, programs of uh, exchanges, mm. sending scholarships, sending Greek Australians to Greece for oh, wow. for two months or yeah. so. Um, I didn't even know there was such a thing. So the, there is a thing. There, there are. And the General Secretariat of uh, Greeks Abroad, which belongs to the Foreign Ministry, has started these programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and what age group are the kids? I think they're closer to um, finishing school, I think. Like yeah, 17, or, 18. Yeah, I think so. And they started last year with uh, Greek Australians from Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, uh, you know, something which is ongoing. Mm. And it's positive. I, I, I think that it is very important for Greek Aust- Greek Australians to have a first-hand experience of mm. living in Greece, yeah. maybe for a couple of months. Uh, and that is very important. Many uh, Greek Australians have told me that, you know, before going to Greece, I had very little contact with Greece. And I'm a reborn Greek when I came back, born again, sorry, born again Greek when I returned from from uh, from Greece. Yeah, great point me. because, yeah, exactly, I was well, the same well, too. Yeah. yeah, I think we've mentioned it many shows. I was, I was a bit embarrassed to be Greek living in Australia, but when I went there and it's in the music and the culture, I thought, mate, what am I hiding from? This is a great culture. But just what you said on then, I've got a couple of Israeli friends and they send their kids back to... That's what to, I was going to say. Oh, really? Yeah, yes. they, they send their kids to a kibbutz. So they live and breathe the Israeli culture for, I think it's like a year, and no contact with the parents. And the kibbutz where they send them to, teach them traditional farming and all the religious ceremonies they do. Is it something that we could possibly introduce? Or well, I think, that, I think the, program, the program that the Jewish community has is called Birthright. They send them over there for a particular period of time to reconnect. But I think that's the name of the, um, of the, of the initiative, yeah. We would have... We would probably have a demonstration of Greek mothers here if we were going to send our children for a year <laughs> to Greece. So if we, you know, if we focus on two months, it's good enough. Now yeah. And then, uh, joking aside, I, I mean, even uh, a few weeks, a year. Absolutely. Oh, um, two months is great. Yeah. It's something that I think could do the trick, you know, could be a trigger to, to change the mindset. Mm. Um, and I, I can't see too many people saying no to that. Yeah. Going to Greece yeah. for a few weeks and saying, yeah. you know. I'm going to send my boys. So tell me where this program is. I've got two <laughs> boys upstairs. Take them. You're just trying to get rid of them. Take them with you, Yanni. <laughs> I'm staying here for the time. Okay. <laughs> send them to your people. Do no. you miss Greece at the, at the moment now that you've been here? No, not yet. I, I'm used to this kind of life. I've, sure. I've been away for well, uh, many years mm-hmm. uh, okay i go back to athens for every you know in our system every eight years you have to go back for a couple of mm-hmm. years at least so there's a rotation mm-hmm. but i'm used to living abroad so and i like it to be honest yeah. i uh, i you might say i'm a, a bit of a nomad or a posh nomad 
It's okay. That's a great life. I'm sure a lot of people are envious Absolutely. of what you're doing. So you did your, your military service in Cyprus, I believe. Yes. Um, according to the 1960 treaties, when Cyprus became independent, mm-hmm. uh, there is a Greek contingent. So we should not confuse that with the National Guard. The National Guard is the Cypriot army. Mm-hmm. There is a Greek contingent on the island since 1960. It's called Elvik, Eliniki Dynamikipru, so Hellenic force of Cyprus. Mm-hmm. I got trained in Crete in the special, let's say, academy for cadet officers. Mm-hmm. And then I was transferred there for 16 months. Wow. Okay. So in total, 23 months of national service at the time. Mm. Wow. And what's that like, being a Greek soldier in Cyprus? Was there... Did you get close to any action? Was there any any scuffles going on that you can talk about? There were times of tension, but uh, we weren't, let's say, on the front front line. Okay. Although yeah. uh, Cyprus is the front line anyway, because mm-hmm. you know the, the, yeah. the distances are very small. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a good place to to get a taste of real military life mm. because uh, there's a lot of training. Mm-hmm. And it's considered as one of the, let's say, elite forces of the Greek military. Oh, wow. So um, it was a good experience. And I think it helped me as well in my, in my job afterwards. Mm, that's in what terms I was going to ask. In terms of discipline, respecting hierarchy, um, managing people of very different backgrounds. Um, really? Yeah. As a graduate, there's this system that when you finish university... Um, you have the option to go as a, let's say, a plain soldier. You can go, you can do your military service as a cadet officer, mm-hmm. which means a second lieutenant, which means that you're a platoon leader. Mm-hmm. So you've got about uh, 24 soldiers under your orders. That is, is an important exercise to be able to manage mm, these okay. people and to convince them to, to do things mm. uh, in terms of training. Yeah. Yeah, and to have the legitimacy to do it because you're not a permanent. In their eyes, you're one of them, mm. but but you are and you're not mm, okay. because you're also a conscript, but you're an officer. So there's a very delicate balance there right. that mm, you have to. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Did you have many Greeks from the diaspora through the military service when you were there? No, all of them were from from mainland Greece, right, okay. and the islands. But no, I didn't have anyone from the diaspora. Mm. No. This seems to be a question that comes up a lot in the diaspora and is spoken about uh, with a lot of hearsay. What are the requirements for kids that are born in Australia from Greek parents? Or the US or, or Canada. The U- well, yeah, well, yeah any, any part of the diaspora when it comes to mandatory national service. As long as they're here, they're not obliged to serve. Uh, it changes if they want to go back. If they want to live in Greece, mm. they have to serve. Right. They have to serve for six months. Mm-hmm. But as long as they're here and they make sure that, you know, they, sub- they submit the, do- uh, the documents that they have to in the consulates, mm-hmm. they're legally exempted from right. military okay. service. So how long can you go to Greece without being conscripted into the army so for someone outside of Greece? Greek um, 30 days if you haven't settled your documents and you have to go for some reason. If you're legally abroad, though, three months. Okay, so if we fly in, spend the summer in Greece, fly out before the third, third what, 90 days, whatever it is, yeah. you're okay. Otherwise? Six months, sorry, I said three months, six months. Six months, yeah. okay. Yeah. And does that include 
uh, grandkids of people that were born in Greece. Yeah, what if they're not technically Greek citizens, but they're the children of they, the Greeks? They are treated as Australians, as foreigners. They, right. They're not obliged to serve if, they're not, if they don't have Greek mm. citizenship. Okay, so that's the kicker. You've got to have Greek citizenship. Yeah. Okay, and if you don't so have it, if you if you don't have Greek citizenship, you're treated as a foreigner. So okay. there's Even no obligation. Your name is a Greek no, surname. Okay. No, regardless. Perfect. Yeah, see, that's where the hearsay is. Yeah, because you get a lot of people in the community saying, "No, no, no, they can still get you." Yeah, you no, they can't. Yeah, I think there is a misconception there, mm-hmm. a misunderstanding. Um, you won't get arrested or anything like that. Just make sure that you, you know, you. <laughs> You're up, your date. You, you're up to date, yeah, yeah. with your with your documentation. Or stay less than six months. And you're and you're abroad. You know, if you can prove that you're abroad since a child, mm. um, yeah, you fall under the category of being a monimos katikos exoteriku, which is a permanent mm-hmm. Greek resident of abroad. Well, on mm. that point, hypothetically, if a Greek has a child here, with the view to living in Australia or in the U.S. or Canada permanently. Should they also be applying for Greek citizenship for that uh, for that child back in Greece, or is that should that be an automatic thing? If they are Greek or not, well, is in the parents are Greek, yeah, uh, or one of the parents are Greek, should they be automatically applying for by Greek birth? They are Greek citizens by birth, okay. But the Greek state must know that they exist. That's where uh, they say yeah, exactly. Right. You have to register your child. Yeah. First of all, you've got to register your marriage, mm-hmm. something which many people neglect. Yep. And then once you have children, you have to register your children's birth. Right. So, so with a birth certificate. Sure. Okay. And then they're Greek by law. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So if you get married in a Greek Orthodox church here in Australia, yeah. does that make you automatically no. recognize it no. doesn't? Okay. This is a mistake that many people make. And which creates sometimes misunderstandings and disappointment, Mm -hmm. especially of older generations who are now, you know, in their 70s. And they come to the consulate and complain that, you know, when they got married in a church, uh, they thought everything was fine. And then they realized, uh, you know, years later that um, their children didn't have or that, um, yeah, their children didn't get the Greek citizenship. Um, it's two different things. When you get married, you need to register your marriage in the Greek, you know, authorities. Okay, so when you get married in an Orthodox church, you get your certificate. Yeah. Do you do that online, or do you have to go into a consulate? You need the birth certificate, the Australian birth certificate. Uh, sorry, marriage certificate. Mm-hmm. With the Australian marriage certificate, you come to the consulate. I'm so pretty- regardless of where you got married. Okay, because this is with sure. the with the apostle as well. The, yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah, because we get something from the Greek Orthodox Church when you get married. Yeah, isn't that your Greek Orthodox certificate? Yes, but so you, you don't need that. You yeah. use that to get your marriage certificate from the Australian authorities. Oh, I get. Yeah. It. Okay. Because the Australian authorities want to also make sure that you okay. know you got married. Got it. So you got your Greek wedding certificate. Get your Australian one. From that, you go to the consulate. Yeah. Then you're registered in Greece as married. Yeah. So and once you do that, mm-hmm. you can also regist- register your children. Okay. The and they time. don't know. It's not simultaneous. Okay. You don't decide 60 years later that, you know, I want to do everything in, in one go. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a process. Yeah, right. It's much quicker than it used to be mm. because now we have online systems. Oh, so you can do it online now. Um, the 
the Greek consulate can do it online. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. A citizen cannot do it on his own, but the Greek yeah. consulate doesn't, in the past, till a year ago, you had to send it to the special registry in Athens mm -hmm. through the diplomatic pouch, which mm -hmm. took time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now it's much easier. You do it online. Perfect. And it's a significant uh, reform of, uh, you know. Well, that's one of the things of, yeah. of uh, governance. Yeah. That's been one of the one of the kickers. Even getting like a passport or something like that has traditionally taken a, a fair amount of time. Has has digitization helped a lot of that or improved it significantly over the last few years? Yes, Greek passports are issued by the Greek police, not by the consulate. Oh, right. Again, that changed about, I think, 15 years ago. I was in the beginning of my career. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, it was easy. Mm -hmm. uh, it was easy to go to a consulate and you would get a handwritten passport. But for reasons of, <laughs> for obvious reasons of, uh, you know, secu security, exactly. Um, uh, Imagine They that. changed the process. Okay. And now it's strictly under the competence of the Greek police. Mm -hmm. So... You apply here, and the consulate sends your application to the Greek police in Athens. Mm -hmm. And that's where the passport is issued. Then it's wow. sent back here, mm -hmm. and you get it. The whole process yeah. would take about two, uh, two months. Okay. Wow. Safe to say, two months. Yeah. yeah. Before I forget, I had another question. Sorry, about the military service. When is the cutoff age? You want to go, do you? Well, I'm just more for me, actually. How old do you have to be? 32 and 45 are the two critical ages. Above 32, mm -hmm. you can start paying for the... Okay. Yeah, for the time that you didn't serve. Yep. And at 45, you, you're acquitted. You're finished. Beautiful. I don't know why I'm cheering, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. You might have had fun, mate. Yeah, but it sounds like it's a good thing, though. I hear a lot of positive stories about people who do the military service. Yeah, and in my case, I'm I'm a strong supporter of military service. Um, I think it, it helped me a lot in my life. Mm. So for the Greek diaspora, is it six months? How, how long do they have yeah, to go for? Yeah, six months. six months. If they go back to serve, yeah, it is six months. And does that include, what, basic training for six weeks? In my days, it was 40 days. Now I think it's 25 Okay. I think it's about 20, 25 days. That's what we right. Special, uh, basic training, we call it. Okay. Mm. And then and you then get, you get post, yeah, you, you get uh, sent to, you know, usually to the border or some island. All right. So back on the process that we just talked about. So I'm married, go to the consulate, uh, sorry, Australian passport. I'm registered in Greece. I have kids. I go back. I can register my kids now as Greek citizens. So when you register them as Greek citizens, is that the two-month process now of getting them a passport? Is that what you said? Yes, but we should not again conflate the two processes. Okay. One is getting your citizenship, mm -hmm. which might take years to do. Yeah. Whereas getting your passport is once you have the citizenship, and that's two months. Okay. The problem arises especially when grandparents were not diligent mm -hmm. and did not settle these issues. And so, so you mean by not registering their their wedding. children and then, oh, and, then children. and the grandchildren. Okay. And when the chain breaks, mm -hmm. in other words, when the generation that first arrived here passes away, mm -hmm. then it's much more difficult mm. for um, the descendants okay. of this man or woman to get the citizenship because you have to then prove right. that your grandparents or your ancestors were Greek. 
And sometimes it's not easy to prove that because mm. many of them, for example, left from Greece when uh, their place of origin was not even part of the Greek state. Mm. Uh, yep. Castellorizo is a typical example. Yeah, Castellorizo right. be united with Greece in uh, 1947. Right. Oh, wow. So a migrant who left in the 20s from Castellorizo or 30s under Italian rule mm. probably doesn't have any records of that. Mm. And once he pass, he or she passes away, the children decide in their 40s or 50s or 60s to start the process. It's not easy. Mm. So I would encourage people, you know, to do it uh, when, away. especially yeah. when their children are born to register, mm -hmm. because there's a huge backlog with people who decide 30 or 40 years later to do the process. And then we've got a huge queue and complaints about delays. And I guess that would also impact things like, particularly for people in the in the diaspora, things like inheritances and all, all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, many complications arise. So especially, you know, your generation who are still in the process of having their own children. Once your children are born in the first few months, come to the consulate and register the birth, especially if you've got, if you're settled, if, yep. you, if you've got Greek citizenship. Sure, I think I'm good. You're good. So I've registered both my boys. Okay. But they don't have a passport. It doesn't matter. The Greek. Um, but that's if I need it, if they need it. So what's yeah. the benefit of having a Greek passport? It is if you want to study in the European Union. If you want to, you know, move around the EU, you have a Schengen passport. So, um, you know, why not? Yeah, um, okay. So I ended up Other, getting, you know, you can also argue that, you know, since they're Greek... Why yeah, not? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I've got a Greek passport and I think I've renewed it twice. I've never used it. There are going to be a lot of people listening to this who maybe don't have their Greek citizenship. For those who do go ahead and actually do it, we've heard stories about the current tax implications now, for example, of having you know, citizenship and income in one, in one country or maybe in both countries. Where does that currently stand in terms of having citizenship in both of those countries? Are you being taxed twice? Yeah, <laughs> there is right now, since last year, there's an ongoing negotiation between the two countries to agree on a avoidance of double taxation agreement. Right. Yeah, so that's a negotiation and that will help to resolve issues such as that one. But you might not even be Greek and have that issue. Right. Because if you've got interests in Greece financial interests and you've got a tax authority number you might not necessarily be greek so it doesn't right. go hand in hand with citizenship okay yeah so that's an interesting distinction yeah. i've got another question now so as you mentioned earlier a lot of the greek diaspora parents or grandparents are born in greece and a lot of them have land there as well how does that work with registering property and land in greece now and what are the complications around that so i understand if you're not a greek citizen uh, automatically the state doesn't recognize you so what happens in that case it recognizes you but um, first of all the the Greek consulate acts also as a notary so in other words when a Greek wants to a Greek citizen or an Australian citizen wants to resolve these issues they come to the consulate and they write a power of attorney mm -hmm. to a lawyer in Greece who deals with these issues and makes sure that uh, they are represented according to Greek law in the Greek courts. So that's what's called a plidexusio. Plidexusio, right? power of attorney. Yeah. Well 
You're impressed yeah. with that one? I'm very impressed. Yeah, very impressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good. Double loser to you. That's yeah. it. <laughs> okay. I've done all this before. That's right. Yeah. So I'm new to this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So my parents have got a block of land. It's not worth anything, but I'm not sure if it's registered under me or my brother or my sister's name. So that's something I could go to the books in New York and... and yeah, you will out. have to, first of all, find a lawyer mm-hmm. in Greece and send him all the documents, the proof that property belongs to you. Okay. And so, then so they, they are the ones who yep. write, you know, the first draft and then they send it mm. to the consulate and um, okay. it's stamped and agreed upon here. Okay. We've got a curveball for you now. We're from Ipiro in the mountains of Ibiru, Suli, and we've got land there, but there's no documentation. <laughs> it's all word of mouth. Who owns that? Oh, that's Vangeli, that's Christos, that's Nicholas. <laughs> yeah. How do you do with that? Or do you need like a surveyor? I will answer very <laughs> candidly that yeah. the Greek consulate cannot really help you in that case. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, forget it, mate. Okay. Um, it's better to take the plane and go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if there's nothing written to say that you own it, if it's just the He's the consul general, he's not God, mate. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I've got to ask a question. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right. So that's challenging. So you've got to have documentation. Yes. And yeah. uh, it doesn't matter what the villagers say. It's okay. Yeah. All right. Got I on. think that's the case everywhere here yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, just on that, so what are the most popular requests or questions that you guys get usually or that you can help with? Um, Citizenship issues are probably the most popular. Mm. Um, So acquiring Greek citizenship and then applications for passports. Mm. Those two would be the highest on the list. Sure. Military service issues, a bit on, um, on tax issues. The Greek state has implemented a new reform according to which you can um, update your personal information with regard to um, your tax, let's say, identity. Yeah. So through the consulate, give information, your phone number and your address and your email so that you're not uh, obliged to have a Greek phone. So with an Australian phone, a mobile phone, you can identify and do all the the work you need with the Greek tax authority without yeah, having right. to, without having to travel to Greece to do it mm, yeah okay. uh, and that's important we've had a few people coming over already and uh, so uh, you know resolving that it takes 5 minutes it's, mm. it's a very easy process that's an interesting one because you update your your information yeah, basically yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, even dealing with Greek banks at the moment, like well, I've, yeah. got an, I've got an uncle who... It's related to that. Yeah, so yeah. He, he needed to have a Greek phone number in yeah. order to be able to yeah. do business. That's, <laughs> not, that's no longer the case. Fantastic. You can have an Australian number, but you have to come and register it with us. It's an online process. There's mm-hmm. an application and you do it. Uh, well, we do it for you, but it's it's not even five minutes. It's very easy. It's oh, we've learned something fantastic. Yeah, you need to bring your cell phone to, with you yeah. and... Um, documentation and, and a passport or an ID to Perfect. prove that it is you yeah. that's okay. it Makes that's sense. it fantastic do you work closely with the church yes that's another very important part of the Greek culture and identity mm-hmm. um, the fact that especially abroad 
the church acts as a pole of, um, let's say, attraction to maintain the culture. It's very important for maintaining our heritage mm -hmm. to also have that link. Mm. Of course, there are people who might feel that you know um, they're sec more secular and they want uh, fewer contacts with the church. But overall, I've noticed that it's a very you know popular institution mm. um, here in Australia, and um, it has played a very significant role in, in maintaining um, our culture. Mm. And how do you work with the church? Do you talk to the archbishop, and how do you interact together? Close cooperation with Archbishop and the Archdiocese is a given, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's something uh, very important and necessary for the job here. And uh, in many functions, we we are together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Through we have common uh, interests. Yep. Yeah. In your capacity, in your role now, are you in a position now to be able to say, well, we want to be doing things like hosting events, doing community engagement, as opposed to, let's say, helping other groups do do that sort of thing. Is, is that something that might be on the cards for the Consulate General here in Sydney? Yes, some things you can do jointly with others. Others you can, Other things, it's better to do them on your own. I think I will try to do, you know, commensurate with my budget. I will try to do both at the same time. So cultural events and some outreach to other communities as well and also to the to the Australians to mm. the Australian public it's not all about you know the greek community it's mostly the greek community but mm. there's also a part of the job which uh, pertains to mm. promoting and enhancing relations with uh, the host country yeah, with mm. australia Perfect. and building bridges between the two and that gives me the opportunity to go to, to an issue that I, I feel very strongly about, and that is the Anzac connection. Yeah, right. Um, there's so much we can do there. It is highly commendable that uh, a few Greeks here, Greek-Australians, have managed to raise awareness on these issues in the past two decades. Uh, of course, I'm, relating, I'm referring to the Battle of Crete, but also to the Limnos story. Yes which was uh, relatively unknown 20 years ago, that uh, Limnos in 1915 was basically the logistics hub of the Australian... Uh, Anzac campaign. Of the Anzac campaign and Gallipoli. Yeah. There were cemeteries afterwards, you know, hospitals, and very few people knew about it. So I have the impression that there are many stories still to be told of uh, Australians fighting in Greece, alongside Greek forces, uh, even after the Battle of Crete. Mm. There are stories of Australians uh, staying on and New Zealanders till 1945. Not many. Yeah, right. Most, the bulk of the Australian forces returned to, to Australia to, uh, at, you know, to fight the then invading Japanese forces in the Pacific mm. um, in 1942. But there were some forces which stayed back. Some of them fought under British orders, yeah. but they were there. So, you know, we have to bring these stories um, to the surface. Well, that's one of the things that we did. We dedicated an entire episode to the Anzac connection with Greece in World War II. And we went for nearly three hours. <laughs> like, there are just so many stories that are yet to be told. 
that are just you know they're you know they're, they're living in people's family diaries and you know right. they're only just starting to come so out. We just touched no the surface, it. didn't we? We said yeah. we need to do another episode. We will do another one this this season, I think. Mm, <laughs> yeah, I was one day I was surfing on on the internet and I came across this guy. This is an Australian officer of the navy who reached the rank of um, uh, rear admiral. His name is uh, was Robertson, and apparently he was on HMS Kimberley, which was a British vessel, British ship, um, which was in the Dodecanesan, the Dodecanese, in 1944-45, and uh, aboard that ship, the Germans capitulated and uh, you know f- uh, agreed to to end the is hostilities really? in the Dodecanesan. Wow! So you know. A story like that. Yes, it was a British vessel, but there was an, there were Australians on board. Yeah, wow. And many other stories of uh, Greeks and uh, New Zealanders or Australians fighting together in El Alamein in uh, late 1942 in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So that's another um, uh, dimension that we should all try to, you know, do some work on and research. Well, I think I'm sensing that we need to invite you back for this year's World War II episode because there's so many stories that are going to be coming out again. And again, I mean, we, we need a bell every time we mention Nick Andriotakis on this show because he's... I was he's waiting for you to mention him, Gary. Wait, we're going to say bingo because he gets a mention in every episode. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, he's always there. He's very popular, I think. He, yeah, is. he is. And he's done a lot for the Greek community here and... Uh, I think he deserves our praise. Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. Oh, we, you might have to be a returning guest then. You and Nick. Pleasure. Hey? Dynamic yeah. duo. Yeah, for sure. We, I, we won't go for three hours though, I promise. Classic. <laughs> uh, I was going to touch on, so have you met um, Mitsutaki at all? Have I? Sorry, have met you, him. Yeah, have you spoken to him? Do you do much with him at all at that, that level or is that more... The consular level, the, um, the guys in Canada. When I served in uh, Nicosia, um, mm-hmm. I met if, I met him a few times, but mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm not exactly the most senior official to be talking to the prime minister. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've met him, but yeah, I. Okay, so you yeah. don't have much dealings with him in your role now. I have dealings with his office, but no, not with him. Okay. Right. <laughs> no, no. We are going to try and get him on the show one day. That's why he's asking. He's yeah. saying, oh, just give him a call. <laughs> we'll get him on the show. Him? No. <laughs> How difficult is it dealing with, with that sort of hierarchy? You mentioned, obviously, before being in the military helped with defining how you deal with that sort of thing. Yeah, the foreign is, ministry is a bit uh, is similar to the military in that sense. There is hierarchy. Mm. And the more you climb up the ladder, the more easy it is to have access to, you know, uh, the political class of the country mm-hmm. because it's, by definition it's a job which is very close to the political let's say establishment of the country having said that though it is two different worlds because we serve we don't serve political parties we serve the Greek state regardless of who's in power, who's in power. we are career diplomats we're not yes. politicians or well, for all intents and purposes there's no party affiliation in, in your roles no it's that is a personal issue mm. which i you know keep to myself sure. and mm-hmm. when i go every four years and vote but you know you, it's not something that uh, is of any interest or concern and it shouldn't be yeah, exactly. To to anyone otherwise you miss the point and you lose the purpose of uh, of the job it's serving your country mm. regardless of who's in power 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned the vote because that's obviously been something that Greeks here have been have been speaking about for a long time. What is the current status with being able to vote in Greek elections? Can Greeks of the diaspora now vote? So, um, in December 2019, a law was passed for the first time for Greeks abroad to be able to exercise their right to vote. There are two uh, criteria to make uh, to render you eligible to vote. One is to have made um, to have submitted a tax declaration in the past two years, and the second criterion is to have lived in Greece for at least two years in the last 35 years, which by definition excludes most Greek Australians. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, we should see the glass um, half full rather than ha- half empty because it is a first step and um, it is an important development. And I would encourage those who are eligible to vote, and there are a few, especially Greek uh, migrants who arrived here um, in the past decade or so, um, to, to register and do it you know, through the consulate. You can do it online, but if you've got difficulties, you can come to the consulate mm. for, for help as well. It's not very difficult as a process. And, um, you know, be ready to to vote because in 2023, according to the Constitution, we will have elections. How decisive and how powerful can the diaspora vote be for a Greek election? By some counts, there are more Greeks outside of Greece living, you know, living abroad than there are within Greece. Obviously, not all those would vote. be citizens but or, or can vote, so... Obviously, there's going to be a smaller percentage there. But how powerful do you think that vote could be? I think they would give a different, a fresh perspective and from their point of view on how they see the world. And it would definitely help to get them involved in the political process. Mm. And that's the, the rationale behind the December 2019 legislation, to get them involved in, in the politics of their country of origin. Is there a school of thought within Greece that says these guys don't live here? Why, you know, why should they be influencing the way things are happening? I'm yeah, sure I would not. Would. I would not limit it only to Greece. This discussion is, uh, you know, omnipresent in yep. in all countries sure. of the world uh, who've, who have uh, large diasporas. There are arguments both for and against okay. uh, this. So is it a common theme now amongst other countries? Yeah, the there are there are so other countries which have the same, same discussion. Yeah. yeah. So, how many Greeks are there in New South Wales that you know of? Is there a according to the um, 2021 census, mm-hmm. there are there are 142,000 who basically um, declared themselves as being of as being of Greek origin. Uh, it does not mean that the number is uh, is exactly that one. It might be much larger, because there are some people which did not state that they are of Greek origin. Okay, so this is in the census that we get in Australia. Yeah, you're as saying, long as you tick your Greek heritage of some sort. But yeah. there was there was some controversy about that last census in that it didn't actually provide for a specific i can't remember the the religion greek orthodox they had a lot of other ethnicities but didn't actually put greek i think as a as an option but they did ask for language i think they had other maybe something something along those but there was some controversy about that so i I suspect that it may be even higher than what than what it was Mm -hmm. yes um most people here argue and they're 
people better placed than I am to to give you uh, an exact answer, I think, uh, who know the realities of uh, the community better than I do. They argue that the number is much higher. Mm. Um, and I, I tend to agree that it is probably higher mm. than, than 142,000. But it then comes back to that question, you know, what is a Greek? It, does it come down to the language? Does it come down to your citizenship? Exactly. You know, what, yeah. you know, what is it at the end of the day? And who do you include when you count? You know, do you include someone who's got a grandfather of Greek origin, but who has no connection with the country anymore? Mm. Is he included as a Greek um, Australian or not? You know, it's, it, it is a bit difficult. Yeah. How do you define that? And uh, practically speaking as yeah. well. Mm. Who do you include in the in the count? Yeah, yeah, okay. very interesting. And what about the whole of Australia? Do you know the the stats out of that? I'm sure Melbourne would. Have According to the, that same census, we're a bit under half a million. So four hundred and if if I'm not mistaken, it was about four hundred eighty thousand, something mm. like that. Okay, the number is probably larger, mm. probably higher than that. Very interesting. Now, look, another thing that. Obviously, you guys are very, very interested in, have been active in, is the issue of trade between Greece and Australia. We've, we've actually had some discussions with your office previously around things like protected designations of origin for things like feta, uh, certain wines and all that sort of thing. Where does trade lie in terms of importance for your, you know, for your office and for Greek relations with Australia? Now? This issue falls under the purview of the, of the embassy but it is also part of the the office of the trade commissioner in who's based in in sydney so increasing trade is a high priority of the greek government because uh, two-way merchandise i think amounted to around 250 million euros which is not which is not such an impressive figure mm-hmm. uh, so there is potential to do much more there most of this trade is so the the balance of trade is in favor of Greece so much more right. ex, we export much more to Australia than the Australians export to Greece right now attracting Australian investments is obviously a high priority for the Greek government there is a very important uh, investment in which is uh, ongoing in Greece right now an Australian investment um, Macquarie infrastructure and real assets group i think they're called mira they invested uh 2.1 billion euros in the hellenic electricity distribution network operators so that was one of the lar- largest uh, investments ever in greece foreign investments wow. so fdi foreign direct investments um, and there, there are smaller investments in the field of tourism and then there are some investments of Greek companies here, yeah, right. uh, uh, the Mytilinos Group uh, in solar energy, for example. Okay. And then you mentioned the issue of uh, geographic indicators. Uh, that is a sensitive issue in in our trade relations with uh, Australia because Australia is um, a third country, so it's outside the EU. Uh, and it's not bound by the strict rules of the EU. So we've got um, on on these issues. So there's the level of protection is not the same on it, on products such as uh, 
well, uzo, yeah. <laughs> feta cheese, uh, tzipuro. Forty feta in front of you. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, kalamata olives. And so, you know, that is an issue because we've got imitation products yes. yeah. uh, in, in the Australian market, which is to the detriment of the promotion of uh, Greek exports. Yes. And that is an issue being dealt with at the level of the EU-Australia negotiation for a free trade agreement right yeah so these issues are raised at that frame on at that framework and other countries raise similar issues okay so do you raise your issues with the eu who come back and discuss it with australia exactly because the european commission has the lead Mm -hmm. on the negotiation with australians so we all you know um, agree on a common position Mm -hmm. and then the commission represents us in these talks mm. with the Australians. Do you have a list of products that you're discussing at the moment with the EU within to Australia? Did um, we mention feta or something like that? Feta is one of the issues mm-hmm. yeah, which we which is top priority for us, yeah. Kalamat mm-hmm. olives, Tipuro Uzo, yeah, we mentioned all that before. Okay. But would you have many other type of olives out there that would call themselves Kalamata olives but they're not? Is that yeah, a common thing? that has to do with the legislation of each country. As I said, in the EU, rules are much stricter to protect geographic indicators. Mm. And really what, what we're talking about here when it comes to putting these geographic indicators on it, it really does come down to it being a question of quality, isn't it? Because increasingly we've seen over the years in, in Australia, Greek Australians in particular don't want the imitation product anymore. They can see the difference. I guess, is that the message? This, you know, these products, if you're buying Greek, if you're buying feta, you're buying olive, you know, Greek olive oil, you're buying uzo, you're far better off buying the original product, isn't it? Yes, definitely. The standards are higher when you do it, you know, when you produce a product according to the, um, you know, original standards yes. of, of the product. Because yeah. they do have quite rigid regulations for what constitutes exactly. this is feta, this exactly. is yeah it has to do with how you produce it the consistency is of the um, of the product yeah yeah and it's just the role of the, the trade commissioner that's coming out or yes it's already here yeah the trade commissioner in cooperation with the embassy in canberra are let's say the competent uh, authorities to do to deal with these issues but i also get involved and will they be based in sydney or yes the trade commissioner is based in sydney and the logic there being that Sydney is the business center of the country. So it makes more sense for the Trade Commissioner to be based here Mm -hmm. than in Canberra. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. What did you say? The the message, I guess, is really by Greek. I mean, for crying out loud, we make feta. You know, Greece makes feta, makes amazing olive oil, makes amazing uzo. Buy the products. You know, there's no point in in buying something that's an imitation you know, if, if we're proud about it, we may as well put our money where our mouth is and actually spend the money on it, right? Mm, definitely. Uh, here you are. Look, there could be another episode coming on there, Tom, I think. Absolutely. Definitely. So we talked about the consulate. What, what else does it do? So we talked about the trade minister. And is there another area of the yeah. Greek consulate that you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, we said, yeah, trade is under the trade commissioner. But mm-hmm. then there's also um, a public diplomacy section. Mm-hmm which consists of uh, two uh, permanent staff yeah, from Greece who are in charge of public diplomacy and promoting, let's say, the Greek trademark abroad and in Australia. 
in a broader sense. Uh, I don't mean, you know, uh, in terms of just trade. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Greek trademark, Greek culture, mm -hmm. uh, Greek tourism, the image of Greece in Australia. That is their main priority. And of course, to cover the Greek press here, mm -hmm. the, the, the press of the Greek community, uh, and report back to, to Greece and to cover the Australian press mm. and what, uh, you know, what the impressions are here of what the image is of Greece. Mm -hmm. Their role is very important in terms of public relations as well, yeah, and yeah. promoting Greek culture, mm. the organized functions and, and uh, you know, uh, lectures and things like that, yeah, yeah to promote. Because we do have a lot of uh, Greek media here, sorry, yeah. Greek Australian media, a lot yeah. of newspapers and online. Do you meet? Will this person meet with them, and will you have discussions? Yeah, we both. With them? Yeah, we we work very closely with uh, the team there, and we meet. Yeah, the Greek press, and we've got contacts, and um, yeah, that's why we have uh, you know uh, very regular meetings with with uh, journalists. I was just going to say, in terms of the branding of of Greece and in terms of you know the, the management of that image are you pleased with the way that that thing's going I mean we've seen some amazing tourism campaigns over the last few years I mean the campaign for Crete for example with the oranges and all that sort of thing just amazing storytelling are you pleased with the way that Greece is now marketing itself internationally yeah I think it has become very popular tourist destination um, and the numbers speak for themselves uh, when you, you see the statistics, especially before the COVID pandemic uh, in 2019, uh, we had, I think, uh, more than 30 million uh, tourists. Mm, which uh, is yeah. a record, isn't it? Uh, I think 2019 was the best year mm. in, terms of, uh, in terms of tourism. Yeah, or one of the best years. Might be mistaken, but it was a very good year. So, yeah, that is very important. And... In the past five or six years, you've also seen a, a change when it comes to Greek uh, films mm. and filmmaking in Greece. Sorry, yes. not Greek mm. films, filmmaking mm -hmm. in Greece. Foreign productions, mm. which choose Greece as as the set of the film. Yeah, so they film in situ uh, in the Greek islands, yep. mm. um, in Athens, and that's a good way to you know indirectly promote. Greek tourism and yeah, for sure yeah definitely would there be any sort of unique campaign you can think of of getting Australians to Greece and more importantly how how does Australia compare as in numbers are we like a big market for Greeks in yeah. Greece Australia, yes compared to the um, rest of the world or yes it is and that's why um, you probably heard this you followed it in the Greek press here that um uh, the National Tourist Organization is opening an office in Melbourne um, exactly because uh, the Australian market uh, offers many opportunities for, for Greek tourism and um, I think the Anzac connection is again we're going back to you know, Nick mm. Andriotakis' best issue <laughs> um, you know we want to <laughs> um, but um, uh, the Anzac connection is very important in that sense as well to to build the bridge between the two countries. You know that they they have many things in common mm -hmm. that they fought together in two world wars. That uh, Greek migrants contributed to what Australia is today. 
mm. um, by you know um, enriching Australian culture mm. uh, and contributing into this multi- multicultural uh, miracle that has happened here. Definitely. Um, so it's a we it's a two way street. I think both countries benefited from that. And um, what I tell the the seniors, let's say, of the Greek community is that they are my heroes because when they arrived here, things were not as easy as they might be today for mm, for, for our generation. They had to work very hard and they managed to do so well and excel and they integrated without being assimilated. Yes. So, And that's a very uh, important achievement and something they should, that they should take pride in. Right that um, they're not a ghetto, but they haven't lost their heritage. Mm, great point. That's yeah. a fantastic point. So, yeah, um, perfect. That is, I think, uh, something we should praise them for. 100%. Mm. Well, look, I mean, yeah, again, I mean, we say this at the end of every episode, but, you know, we... So I've got one last question. Can you get Aegean Airlines over here or not? <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk to them? We both used to work in aviation. We we need more flights back to Greece. (laughs) Yes. um, I'm not sure what their fleet is. You should convince them also to buy bigger planes, maybe. A321 can't get here. Yeah. I think it's an 18-hour flight. Direct. uh, Yeah, they probably need a 787 to get here direct. I think we've got a better chance of going to our old bosses and saying we need to do seasonal flights to Greece. (laughs) <laughs> but how good would it be? I was going to say Olympic Airlines, but they used to fly out here. But how they good did. would it be to see Eugene to come out here? Yeah. I think they'd do well. I anyway. think they would as well. People would choose them. They would. Yeah, definitely. Anyway. Well, look, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground and there's still so much that we can cover, but we, we, we need to let you go at some point tonight. So no, thank you for this very you know, first interesting discussion. I think we'll have the opportunity to have more of Ooh, these definitely. discussions. And we hope so. I'm open to having this because I like, uh, I like the format, the fact that it is informal. Thanks for the food and the water. I, I, I want to stress that I didn't drink any loser today. No, he's yeah. very well behaved. <laughs> very he well was, behaved. He was. <laughs> no, you've done well, Yanni. Awesome. Now, look, it was a pleasure having you here. And Absolutely. Look, the information you've given us, I thought the Greek diaspora would, would love to hear firsthand, which is what you've said. So I can't wait to have you on again. And perhaps we could do another World War II episode and bring Yanni along. Sounds Absolutely. Like, you know if a lot about that. If you're yes. interested. Topic. Yeah. Well, look, it was an absolute honor to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. All the very best for, you, for the mission here. If, if we can be of any assistance, we obviously will be. Please reach out to us. We're, we're, we're yes. always here to, to support. All the best to you and your families and all the best to Hellenism abroad. That's it. Thank very you. Well, well said. said. Thank you, Yanni. Well, Nick. Tom. How good was that? We're back. <laughs> we are back. We are back. Okay, and uh, what a season. way to kick off. That's it. Oh, it was awesome. Great discussion. <laughs> Learned a lot out of that. Uh, yeah, so you better get your son registered, mate. That's Absolutely. I'm thinking oh, he is. is he's, he? he's already done. Oh, yep. fantastic. He's done, mate. Uzotalk.outlook.com is the email. Follow us on most social media platforms at at Uzotalk or on Instagram at at Uzo underscore talk. Well done. Nick Athanasiu, thank you very much, mate. Tom, I'm still impressed you can still say that after <laughs> every episode. He's awesome. I'm learning. You are. I'm You're getting well. Good. Tom, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. And uh, let's do it again very soon. Let's get ready for a big season. Definitely. Thank you. See ya. Ακολουθήστε μας στο Soundees, στο Spotify, 
στο Apple Podcasts και στο Google Podcasts.